Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. I'm Andrew Cooperwriter. You know me. Some of you like me, some of you don't. That's okay. That's cool. We're going to go through the news, though. But first, but first, please, please, please hit that share button. Share it out. Share it out over the, the wide Facebooks there. Let me see a lot of a lot of the shares. Let me see a lot of the likes. Let me see a lot of the, the follows, things like that. This is in podcast form as well on Apple and Spotify. Give us a listen there. Check us out. You can also, as well, we do have a YouTube channel. These get sent to, too, as well. So if you want to share them with people who aren't uh, on the Facebooks and don't do the podcasting, feel free. You can share with them the, the YouTube channel, and we can get that handled. But diving into today, like I said, remember to share, remember to support, all those great things. So the first hearing date for Cooperwriter v. Bashir has been set for next Wednesday in Lexington. And oh, man, I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to put it up there, the, the, the Star Wars meme, let let the hate flow through you. Instead, I'm going to say let the butt hurt flow through you. Man, there's some butt hurtness out there. A lot of people real upset. What are they upset about? Well, they're upset because, quite frankly, they're rooting for us to lose. Why are they rooting for us to lose? Well, because they're afraid, maybe. I mean, we have people reporting the nonprofit Kentucky Liberty, trying to report it to KRAF and the IRS before... It's even actually put quite a dollar in the account yet, just spun up recently. And so we got people already trying to report that. We got people already uh, uh, coming onto the page. Of course, you know, they'll say we don't matter, but yet they do come onto our page. They do comment. They do watch these videos. They do get upset. They do let the butt hurt flow through them. And it's funny. I find it funny, right? I mean, they'll come on and say, ah, just pay your bill. Pay your taxpayer's bill. Like we like we somehow believe, you know, I love that too. I love when they're like, oh, isn't this a waste of taxpayers' money? Well, first off, when you look at the bill, it's quite clear uh, how it's laid out. Second off, um, almost everybody on Bashir's side is paid a salary with fringe benefits that they will be paid regardless. Um, when you look at the impeachment committee, additionally, it's the same thing. And I think a lot of people would never say holding government accountable is a waste of money. In fact, if I was to uh, be somehow in office some way, let's say uh, someday I made that decision, I would create a, a establishment, a department of government waste that would literally be going out and looking for ways that we waste money. And that would be funded and people would say, aren't you wasting taxpayer dollars? It's never a waste to ask government to do its key functions. And in this case, its key function is to hold itself accountable. I don't think of it as a waste. And quite frankly, that's not what the lawsuit is about. The lawsuit is not about uh, trying to escape the bill. We argued back on the bill cost. The lawsuit is about something a little bit different. I'm going to talk about that here in a bit as I talk about what the media is. But I want to get away from us for a second and talk here about Kentucky legislator. Flurry bills passed last night. And the reason why, of course, is because... It was the last date of veto-proof passing. So if you pass a bill and it was 
yesterday, and the governor doesn't like it, he he can veto it and send back. So what you're going to see there, or should see, is a lot of bills that the expectation is that Bashir would 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 veto these bills, and so they'll be able to come back in session and vote these bills forward. And I, you know, I'll hit you some of the highlights of these bills. We'll first talk about the one that's making a lot of the headlines, HB 258, the teacher's pension bill. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how unreasonable these teacher pension people are. Okay, not the teachers. I never blame the teachers because I have a feeling the teachers' unions don't represent the feelings of most of the teachers. I believe they do not at all because most teachers I talk to do not agree with most of the things that unions do. In fact, it's almost like they're standing there and people are saying, oh, you're hurting. And they're like, I actually, I'm not hurting all that much. No, you're hurting. I'm telling you, you're hurting. So this is the teacher's pension bill. First thing it does is it does not change anything for anybody currently employed. And I got to say, I'm good with that. And I'm good with that because anytime we make an agreement with an individual, we need to hold that agreement. We should not get in the habit of changing up quote unquote pensions, though we should get in the habit of getting away from pensions, which this new plan, a hybrid plan is attempting to do. And if, if, if you are an individual who's sitting there saying, no, 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 I want my pension. I have to tell you something. You're a little bit of a fool. What do I mean by that? Well, quite frankly, a privatized 401k is much, much better than a pension plan. I'm going to tell you why here in a second. But offers a hybrid uh, plan, uh, 401k, raises retirement age. I'm sorry. The hybrid plan here, what it does is it raises retirement age two years from 55 to 57. So raises the teacher retirement age to 57, two measly years. It's still not even the federal retirement age. It's well below that. And it puts you on a, it still has some set benefits involved, but it puts uh, part of it onto a 401k plan. And if I'm a teacher, I want it privatized. I'll tell you why. Let me tell you about a 401k. The average salary of a teacher in Kentucky is $55,495. If we were to do what would be normal of a 4% match, Okay, and that's a 4% match. Now, one could say, oh, the government could do just an 8% without a, any kind of a match. Um, but let's say we do a 4% match. And let's do that with an average return rate of 7%. 401ks will fluctuate, but you'll see them anywhere between 6 to 9%. So we're going to say 7% return on average. If you get into teaching at 22 and you retire at 57, that'd be 35 years. With an 8% match process going in, so so 4% match. So the government puts in four, you put in four. With a, with a 4% match, you would end up retiring after 35 years with a 7% return with $636,000 in the bank. If you put that money into a, a, a 6% annuity, I'm sorry, into a 7% uh, return. You're still getting your average 7% return there. You would be able to, without touching a dime of your 636000 live off of $44,520 or $3,710 a month. That's a fair, uh, a little bit more than most teachers I've talked to. 
um, they're getting, you know, maybe right around that, 3,500, 3,600. This is actually just a little bit more than most teachers I've talked to, but it might be a tiny bit less. But the point is, is it's right in line with what you're currently getting with your pension payments. And you can get that for life because you're not dipping one penny into $636,000. On top of that, once you pass away, guess what? You have $636,000 that you can now pass on to your family. You now have something to give to your family when you pass. That sounds like a much better deal to me. And I think a lot of teachers, if they understood what it was, would agree. It also points to why pension systems suck so badly, why the government sucks so badly. What I just described there would be a way that you could pay out essentially the benefits they pay out. And then also at the end, the government gets to keep your 636000 Literally, the pensions shouldn't have a problem being funded with what I just described because they should be earning their interest on it and they shouldn't be mismanaged so terribly, but they are because the government's bad at everything. So HB 258 would... would change the teacher pension to a hybrid plan offering uh, a privatized part 401k and also defined benefits. Like I said, if I'm the teachers as well, I want to see a privatized uh, retirement. I want to see it go over to 401k because I don't want the government messing with my pension ever so often. I don't want the government messing with my retirement. When I retire, I want to know I'm good to go. I want to know I'm set. So me personally, if I'm a teacher, when I'm in retirement, and I depend on the money the most, I wouldn't want to be subject to the whims and, and, and how the wind blows in Frankfurt. Personally, I would want to be off their so-called uh, government teat as much as possible and have my own money that I'm managing, my own $636,000 that I'm managing to do with what I please so I'm not dependent upon the government for my pension, for my plans. That's what I would want. But... Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the teachers do want this. And no one's, and, and they have been sat down and explained the, the, the benefits and the costs. And, and they do want this. And then they sit there and they tell their unions to pass it on. I think it's just a way that unions are grabbing control of the people, of the teachers. And that leads us into HB 563, which is school choice light. School choice light. I'm going to call it school choice light because it's not fully school choice. They're calling it the school choice bill. It's, it's a light version. You don't get to fully money follow the child as far as it goes. But what it does do is first it allows parents to get their tax deductions for moving to another public school that's not in their district. So if a, if a school offers open enrollment, you can move your kids uh, into that district, that public school district, and but you do have to pay money because um, the thought process is is they're not getting your property tax, I guess. So if you if you you can go to any public school that offers this enrollment, but you have to pay for the privilege to do so. So this allows a tax deduction for those parents that are having to pay for their kids to go to another public school, but it also offers tax credits for people to donate to nonprofits. And this is capped at $25 million a year in tax credits. So this money would go into nonprofits. The money could only be used in counties at a population of 90,000 or more, which would offer a, a scholarships through means-tested scholarships. So 
children of, of low income to go to private schools. So let's go over what this bill does. It allows individuals who have money to donate money with an incentive of why they'd want to donate money here to allow a child of low income to go to a high quality private school to get an opportunity they wouldn't normally have. Why are people against this? And what's funny is one of the main opponents against it is Mary Lou Martin, who herself went to a Catholic private school. Must be nice. Must be nice to get to go to that private school, Mary, and then turn around and say, but no, you poor people, you're not going to get the same opportunities I have. Of course, Regina Huff also voted against this because we all know how much she hates schools. But what? why is there against this? Why are they against this idea of a... Because uh, if, if anything, if I am an individual of any thinking mind, I would say, yeah, great. Let's incentivize people to give money to m- minority and, and low-income families to get better educations. What's the problem here? Well, the problem is this. If those low-income children are going to these private schools and they start seeing better results, school choice light starts getting better results, guess what happens? There's a greater push for school choice to be offered to everyone. It's a, it's a uh, stepping stone of sorts, and they see it as that. And they see it as a way for people to get the taste, the taste of the quality of results that private schools are able to get while spending less money. And that scares them. And that's why they're against it. They're not against it because they care about children. In fact, if you care about children, you would definitely want to be offering tax incentives for rich people to pay for poor people to go to school. At least I would. That sounds like something I'd be okay with. But instead, but instead, they're against it because they don't want these poor minority often because you have to be in a population more than 90,000. So this would be like Fayette County and, and, and Louisville and things like that. Kitten County. They don't want these poor, often minority students to get a quality private school education and opportunity offered to them that is of no cost to the taxpayers in the sense that it is somebody else's money being donated with just simply tax incentives. Capped at $25 million. They hate children that much. They want power that much. They'd rather these children that aren't getting the same opportunities they had, Mary, looking at you, private school Mary, to have. They don't want you to have those same opportunities because that takes away their control. It's sad. It's really sad. SB8, no forced vaccines. That passed. Now, oh, back to HB563, school choice. Like Though it did pass, it did not pass with enough votes to be able to overcome a veto. So if it gets kicked back to the House or to the Senate, it is still up in the air on if school choice light will actually occur. And you're going to see a giant push by the teachers' unions and by these uh, groups and individuals, 120 wrong, I mean 120 strong. You're going to see them pushing to get school this, this bill killed because it gives kids too much opportunity. 
And so we need to be, if you're standing up for school choice, you need to be telling your representatives, if they voted no, to vote yes for it. Telling all your representatives to vote yes for it. This is one of those bills that just three more yes votes would pass it and get it to overcome a veto. It's worth doing. I think it's a lot worth doing. I think it's worth giving poor and minority children educational opportunities that they wouldn't normally have. What about you? Especially when it's not at the taxpayer's expense. But, you know, once again, I'm just, I'm just a coffee peddler. HB, I'm sorry, SB8, no force vaccines, passes with enough to overcome a veto. HB405, this puts the House in charge of the American Rescue Plan money. This makes a lot of sense. Because what we saw last time, this money coming down from the, from the federal government for COVID, the governor got control of it. The problem with that is, is the natural check and balance of the Senate, the, the legislators over the governor is the power of the purse strings. The power over the legislative branch is power of the executive branch is the power of the purse strings. And so if this money is able to be came in and just spent willy-nilly without any checks and balances, that loses the direct power of the purse strings that the legislator needs or should be using. So HB 405 would put the House in charge of any money spent on the American Rescue Plan. Would not let the governor have control of that. I think that's worth doing. House Joint Resolution 77, which only goes into effect if the governor loses in court trying to strike down HB 1, SB 1, and SB 2. And what that does is that um, um, codifies certain uh, executive orders of his. I, you know, looking at the list of executive orders, nothing makes me want to start flipping tables or anything, but it's definitely a, a list. It's definitely uh, something that I'm okay with. There's some things in there, and I talked in another video about the things I don't like that I'm seeing in some of those things, but there's nothing. I'm going to throw a fit about the mask mandate ain't in there. You know, restaurant closers aren't in there, things like that. So that's a kind of a flurry. Gives you an idea as well. They did pass a bill to change. And guys, remember weeks ago I said McConnell's retiring soon. They don't want it. They're worried about taking out Bashir because McConnell might want to retire when Bashir, um, when Bashir's still in, a, uh, wouldn't be in office. So if they impeached him, they would. Um, it's it's possibility that a Republican might lose in twenty three, and then perhaps that's when McConnell wants to retire. Well, it seems like McConnell might want to retire a little bit early because we do have a Senate bill passing that would change how a senator uh, replacement is selected. So if McConnell steps down instead of the governor getting to choose his replacement, the um, legislators would get to choose the replacement, would vote on the replacement. So, you know, there's that. Like I said, it's, it's clearly just being done for Mitch McConnell. I don't like changing the entire law for one man, but... I don't have any opinions on it either way because, quite frankly, McConnell was going to figure out a way to pick his replacement regardless. And whoever McConnell picks is the person that maybe we should be voting against when that spot comes up for a primary here in about five years. Might be the one we look at there. So today, uh, I've, I've seen some crazy headlines, some crazy problems with media coverage. And I saw nationally CNN, which is, by the way, losing, according to Fox News, is losing 50% of their key demographic. But I saw a headline. 
His headline said, New U.S. intel reports show Russia, Trump, and GOP acolytes have same goals. You think, whoa. Holy cow. Is the entire GOP and Trump talking with, with the Russians? And they have the same goals. They're trying for the same things. That's the way it sounds, right? But if you read the article, and this article is placed under politics, not editorial, it is clear that this is an editorial. What do I mean by that? Well, say this Intel report states that Russia is trying to undermine our elections. And because the GOP engages in what they call voter suppression, We'll talk about what voter suppression means here in a second, but engages in voter suppression and does things that the the CNN politics writers think is is undermining our election integrity. That um, election integrity, sorry, um, and what they're looking at there is this headline here. And the election integrity, and they're saying Russians are trying to undermine it. Republicans are, because they want election integrity, somehow undermining it too in the opinion of CNN. I I don't know. It's crazy. It's weird. But what they say is things like uh, uh, voter ID laws. Okay? For you guys who are against voter ID laws, what I would tell you is uh, get over it. If you understand how local elections work, it is very important that you have a valid ID when you vote. It's very important when you move, you change your ID. We can't just have people voting online. I've heard people float that idea. Let's have them vote online. We can't just have people vote online and sit there and come back and say, well, you know, I voted online, but I don't live in that area. Why? Because there's local elect. See, when people talk about this, they think about senators or presidents. They don't. They don't even think about congressmen, which is defined area. But more importantly, they don't think about things like in Lexington, you have council members that are uh, separated out by districts, and in those districts, different council members work in them. And so, if I'm here versus if I cross the road, my representative at the city council might be different. I need a different ballot. I'm voting for different people for different positions. It is important to ensure you live in the correct area because sometimes people change their addresses without changing their voter registration. Voter ID laws, they say, well, that's voter suppression. They say because they don't want to see mail in voting, that's voter suppression. Listen, it's not voter suppression. It's a, it's a way of saying, hey, if you can't show up to the polls to vote with an ID, which, by the way, you know, I love how they say, well, that's attacking minorities. Like, minorities can't somehow get an ID. Like, everybody has an ID. As an adult, just about everybody has an ID. And you're somehow implying that they're too stupid to get an ID? That seems really racist to me. And then turn around and say, you know, and, and I think it's important to show up to vote. I think... Um, you know, you can submit a, a just like the same thing for an absentee ballot. But I think it's important to show up to vote for this reason. See, back when the founders founded this country, they put limitations on who could vote, right, wrong, or indifferent. The point, the imperfect point they're trying to get to with those limitations 
no matter how sexist or racist they may be, but their imperfect point they were trying to get to was to make sure that the people voting had skin in the game and were not and were intelligent voters. Why? Well, quite frankly, the reason why is because it you can have situations happen what just happened. What we just watched with this most recent Senate election in Georgia and presidential election, amongst a lot of other things. But one of the things we saw, especially in Georgia, in the runoff election for the Senate, was what I, I, I would call literal bribery. You're literally saying, vote for these guys, you'll get your $1,400. That's not very far leap from bribery. But yet we saw that occur. We saw that be uh, you know, basically legalized because you have voters who don't understand that, yeah, you may get that $1,400 now, but inflation and just printing money is bad. We spent more money on COVID than we spent on World War II. More money on COVID than we've spent in World War II. And that is because you just sometimes dumb people vote. The easier it is to vote, the more, I, I won't call them dumb. They're probably very smart people. The more people that, let me change my phrase, they're not dumb. The more people that aren't paying a lick of attention to what is going on. They have no clue what's going on. And they show up to vote. Or, and it's, or if it's very easy to vote, there's no incentive for you to pay attention. You don't go wait in line to vote if you don't know what's going on. That's the point. That's the idea. That's the process we're supposed to go to. In fact, one of the reasons the Electoral College was even put in place was as a defense against the very thing I'm talking about. The people accidentally electing somebody because they're not paying attention. And am I saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent? I, I'm saying that educated voters are people I prefer to have voting just because, quite simply, I prefer to have educated people making decisions politically that affect me. But on the same hand, on the same hand, going back to the headline, that headline is very misrepresented. It, it makes it sound like literally Russian GOP are sitting down in a back room. No, the GOP just wants to see ID laws and doesn't want to see these mail-out ballots done so high. Meanwhile, Russia's literally planning misinformation. It, it, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just such a misleading headline. And local isn't much better. Actually, this morning I was talking to um, my friend Pastor Gibson from his church. Um, his church, H-I. That's not his church. He's talking about God in his church. Um, there, I, I believe they have branch there in Owensboro. But I was texting with him this morning, and he was, he was talking about how at times he's talked to national media. He said, actually, local media is even worse. Point in case example of that would be the Herald Leader headline regarding Cooper Ryder v. Bashir. It says, Kentuckians who filed impeachment claims suing to avoid paying the cost. <laughs> That's not what's going on. What we're doing is, is we're suing because the law is unconstitutional. It's got nothing to do with necessary. If we're just trying to avoid the cost, it would be in state court. It's about saying, hey, this is an unconstitutional law. It has to change. That needs to be heard in federal court. But, of course, a misleading headline gets their point across a lot better because I know the media is having a hard time with Cooper v. Bashir.
having a real hard time trying to spin that. Why? Because the Breonna Taylor grand jurors are in there. The go forth grand jurors are in there with us because we all agree that our First Amendment right for redress is important. We all agree that viewpoint discrimination is a problem. And so they're having a hard time because an attack on us would be an attack on the Breonna Grand Juror Trials. So they're trying to create these headlines as best they can. And, and the reason why this is important is it deals with something that happened to me today. I was actually waiting in the dealership. I was getting um, my truck looked at, and I was sitting in the dealership. And while I'm sitting in the dealership, this older gentleman wearing a Vietnam veteran hat, thank him for his service, is sitting there. And, you know, I'm sitting there um, minding my own business. And he goes, you know, what do you think of this COVID stuff? And I said, well, you know. I Now, I don't know if he asked it because he knew who I was or if he's just trying to make conversation. I don't know. But he says, what do you think of this COVID stuff? I said, well, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, I think I think we need to take a good hard look at what we're doing. I think there's a moral issue of of saying that our government gets to choose, pick and choose who lives and dies. I think that there is unrealistic, and I said, you know, I think there's some unrealistic uh, things going around out there. He says, yeah, but you got to be careful. I said, well, yes, sir, you should be very careful. Um, You're obviously, uh, he's obviously a little bit older. So I said, yes, sir, you should be very careful. You're definitely in that age range. In fact, I don't know why he was sitting so close to me. We were in a wide open room, just the two of us. He could have just sat on the other side of the room. But he decided he wanted to talk to me, which is okay. But he said, man, you gotta be, you got to be careful out there. You know, you can't be cavalier with it. And I said, well, you know, to be quite honest with you, the CDC says under 30 in our entire state, we've only had two deaths from COVID. Quite frankly, it's, not a, it's, it's just not a risk to me. And I understand why you're worried about it, but it's, it's just not a risk to me. And he said, well... You know, but if you catch it, it'll come get you. I'd be like, sir, literally the flu is a bigger risk to me. And so, you know, we go back and forth, and it ends up being, you know, I end up informing him on some things about the CDC that he didn't know. He didn't know that the CDC nationally had a 100 per 100,000 red zone versus the governor came up with his own guidelines. And nobody asked why or said, well, for trusting the experts, is the CDC the expert or is Dr. Stacks the expert I'm cons- or is Bashir the expert? I'm concerned on who the expert is because they're not agreeing with themselves. And, you know, I talked about, hey, you know, on the CDC's website, it says you shouldn't take the vaccine if you've had COVID within the last 90 days, yet nobody's getting COVID tested before they take a vaccine. That seems weird, you know. And... You know, I dropped some of those things, and he goes, well, I don't know about that, but I know what the news is talking about, and they got variants coming, and Italy opened up. They're going to have to shut down. We're going to have to shut down again. This man was literally willing and ready and accepting that it was okay to shut down again because, in his words, well, you know, that's I just know what the news is telling me. Remember, seeing uh, uh the ceo of warner brothers media which owns cnn came out and said the way we've been covering COVID is good for business the way we contextualize COVID has led to higher viewership for us remember it came out and said that 
And that's the consequences this misleading media has. The consequences are you have, have a gentleman striking up a conversation with me, whether or not it's because he, he wanted to talk to me because he knew, like said, who I was or if he just was having conversation. And he, and he felt comfortable going into a conversation and talking to me about COVID within very quickly realizing he had no idea what was going on about COVID. Part of it is because obviously I'm a little better informed on my viewpoint, clearly, right? And he clearly had a, um, a preset idea that the media has fed him that COVID is the end-all, be-all. It's a super big problem. It's, it's going to kill everybody. I mean, the way he's acting, you think it's going to kill everybody. And quite frankly, you know, it leads me to ask the question, if you're that afraid of it, why did you come to a dealership to get your truck fixed? Why didn't you just call a mobile mechanic out to your house to fix your truck and never come outside? And I think that's part of it, right? The media is feeding them these beliefs. They're feeding them these ideas. And I don't mean on purpose. I'm not saying it's necessarily nefarious, grand action. No, nothing like that. It's quite simple. They want clicks. Clicks sell. Headlines sell. Right? They want engagement on their articles. They want engagement from people. It sells. It makes them money. It doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy. It just is what it is. Running an article about eight people getting Ebola in Kentucky is good clickbait. Running an article about a, a, the one person, the, this one six-year-old in 20 states that died from COVID is good clickbait. It's good. It sells. It doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy. They're just worried about selling, selling papers, getting people engaged. But we had to be encouraging people to do and look at their own research in a way and to approach things with an idea of an open mind. I guess that's just my concern because this man's ready for us to lock down again. And quite frankly, I don't think we are. But you guys have a great evening. Thank you for joining me. Come on out to Brood. We're going to have the Shamrockers playing this evening. St. Patty's Day. $2 domestic beers. Also as well, come on out to our April 17th event. We're a month out. We'd almost sold out of tickets this morning. Um, I had to increase the number of tickets, and we, we, we might be selling out real quick. So just uh, be buying your tickets if you want to go. It's for people who want to get involved specifically in how do we uh, uh, fix what we're doing in the Republican Party specifically. Okay, This isn't for uh, those individuals that um, have another quote-unquote solution. This is what we're focusing on. We want to focus on removing 10 people from office and replacing them with true liberty lovers and providing them the support they need to stay true to their beliefs. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening.